So we have moved very far from the wisdom of the rishis. We have not used it. But and the and what what has happened today is that the world is divided between people who have sewerage and uh, conventional toilets and people who don't have anything, no sanitation at all. If the engineers had devised a set of best practices from the Vedic strictures of not mixing human waste with clean water, not sending uh, waste to wastewater to freshwater bodies, and ensuring that nutrients are properly recycled, then we would have had a cleaner, healthier, and livable world today. We need to reconnect with Indic knowledge to know the wisdom of our seers and see how that can be applied today to solve today's problems. Uh, namaste and uh, welcome to my talk. It's very nice to see some, some turnout on a Sunday evening. So I'd first like to start by thanking Srijan Foundation, uh, especially Rahul Divan for giving me a second opportunity to present my thoughts. Uh, I think Srijan Foundation is doing a fabulous job of helping us to decolonize ourselves. And my uh, presentation is also a step in that direction. So um, we all know about India's sanitation problem. We know about the sewage flowing into the rivers. We know about open defecation. But I am going to go a little deeper into the problem. What is the problem and why it was caused. Now, before I start, I want to tell you about the flush toilets. This is um, uh, the genius, the word that I have used is a, a sarcastic word. And a lot of problems come from this. It starts from here. So with one press of the flush handle, you, uh, which uses about 10 to 20 liters of clean water, you are able to send out your waste, your, the waste that you produce. And it goes out of sight, it vanishes, you don't know where it went. And you, I don't think you want to know where it went, because if you did, you would be horrified. So typically, if there is a proper infrastructure, when you flush, the solids and the liquids should go to a wastewater treatment plant. And uh, don't get too worried about this big complicated uh, diagram. But I just want to tell you how, the, how, much of, uh, how many processes are involved. So the, the wastewater from the toilet goes and goes uh, for screening, when the, big, uh, the larger sized uh, uh, solids are removed, screened. Then it goes uh, to sedimentation where the uh, smaller sized uh, particles, solid particles are removed. Then it goes to the next stage, the secondary treatment where bacteria is used to remove the dissolved uh, organic uh, matter in the wastewater. So you see, the, we have used clean water to uh, remove the dirt or the waste. And as you know, even a small amount of uh, impurity in, in water can pollute it, right? And here we are taking our, our solids and then using clean water to remove it. And then all these processes are trying to remove the solids and produce clean water out of it. So you, you see what's happening here. We are now trying to separate two things which shouldn't have been mixed in the first place. And then after that, we are trying to produce uh, clean water. And then when the solids come out, they are wet. And then we use a huge amount of energy trying to dry it, removing the, uh, the moisture from it. So all this comes from the, that flush toilet that we, we saw in the beginning, which causes all the problems. It's a flawed paradigm. So we, when, to lay a sewer, it takes a huge amount of money. There is you know, you have a lot of inconvenience because roads have to be dug up and you install the sewer lines. And then you already saw that large amounts of energy are needed to separate solids from water. Why were they mixed in the first place? So cities are struggling to find the finance to build uh, sewers and sewage treatment plants. And that's the reason why you find that most of India is not covered by a sewerage system and people don't really have a sanitation system. So 
most of the sewage is going uh, the water the once water is supplied to a house or a commercial establishment they are going to produce wastewater when you use water that's the wastewater and then if there is no treatment plant it ends up in water bodies or it goes into the land and that's how it is it is lying there and the and then that causes diseases as you know the other problem is nutrient recovery which i'm going to talk about later so there is a sanitation crisis not just in india but the whole world about 80% of sewage produced today in the world is not being treated and so we have wastewater coming from homes commercial establishments industries farmlands which are flowing into rivers seas and there's no proper treatment sometimes it's just one level of treatment where they just remove some solids that's it and the rest goes into the uh, water bodies so fecal sludge and solid waste are finding their way into the food chain which should not be a surprise to you right because all that once you let it go into rivers and then seas then it it's going to affect your food right this is having a serious impact on human health education and economy so children who are suffering from diarrhea after consuming polluted water obviously they can't go to school they cannot complete their education they do not uh, get their uh, grow to their full height or weight so there's a lot of malnutrition also caused by the poor quality of water this is a picture of uh, sewage going into haridwar uh, the, uh, the ganga between uh, haridwar and kanpur of course nowadays because of the swachh bharat abhiyan a lot of cleaning has been done but don't be fooled i mean the problem still exists because there are many many rivers in india and just cleaning one stretch is good for optics but it's not really solving the problem and i also hasten to add that this is not a problem only in india this here is a picture of what happened in virginia where uh, sewage you know in most of the uh, developed countries they have a combined sewer system where not only sewage but rain water also gets into the sewer so if there's very heavy rain right then there is an overflow the treatment plants cannot handle so much of waste water and then that goes into the water bodies so this happened in 2017 in america so it happens in many parts of the world because of the flawed paradigm the flawed system that we have now let me tell you about the nutrients as you know we get our nutrients from food and food gets uh, the uh, it comes from plants and so uh, when we uh, get the consume food not all the nutrients will be absorbed by the body a great portion of it is excreted in fact most of it is excreted because it, it cannot be used and and so it is excreted via urine so the urine contains nitrogen potassium uh, it contains uh, phosphorus there are very rare instances of these nutrients being recovered from the urine and then into uh, put uh, used as fertilizers in uh, agriculture so the the biggest uh, one of the biggest expenses that uh, countries have is fertilizers fertilizers are imported by india 90% of phosphate fertilizers are in, imported by india uh, us imports 85% of potash and 50 50% of its uh, nitrogen fertilizers so what's happening is humans are going through this whole process of mining so we are mining all these um, uh, uh, elements or this uh, uh, what do you call the fertilizers to produce fertilizers for the for the crops we are mining them and then when we have our food then it's lost and it goes into the rivers and seas so it's a linear way of losing the nutrients we are not making it circular and putting it back into the agriculture so we will always keep mining for more and more of uh, uh, fertilizers right so lakes and streams which receive an excess of nutrients are suffering from oxygen depletion fish kills so when it goes into uh, rivers or lakes there is you will find algal blooms that's because of the uh, wastewater carrying all the nutrients going into lakes and reservoirs you will find all the green algal 
blooms, water hyacinth and that causes the fish to die in the rivers because this, they, it takes up all the oxygen. So, it is killing aquatic life. And then the other problem is the synthetic fertilizer manufacturing. It, it also is a very polluting industry. And now with a growing population, more and more people need food. So, fertilizer uh, factories are going to uh, expand, right? And then we are not re uh, bringing back those nutrients. So, they will always be getting, going, uh, getting lost in the, uh, in the system. So, now I go back to Indian, uh, the Indic understanding of hygiene and uh, uh, environmental protection. So, in the ancient Indians not only knew about general hygiene in terms of washing hands, bathing, but also sexual hygiene. They were very, very well versed with it. And they knew that disease causing pathogens need to be isolated from settlements. They should not be near places where people live, eat or it should, they should not uh, get into water. This was very well understood in ancient India. Under no circumstances are human waste, blood or hazardous substances to be allowed to contaminate water. This was very well understood in ancient India. So, hygiene, uh, uh, hygiene, disease prevention, environmental protection and the need to recycle nutrients in human waste. All these aspects were very clearly understood by our ancient sages and even the population. So, if you go and look at the uh, uh, Indic texts such as uh, Sushruta Samhita, Charaka Samhita, Manusmriti, Vayu Purana, Vastu Shastra, Kama Sutra, Artha Shastra, all of them have principles which we could have used to extract global best practices on having a healthy natural ecosystem, which we didn't, we were, we have been uh, not, we have not been aware of it at all. So, just look at this, I want to give you the proof about uh, how, how much knowledge we had about uh, pollution. So, Charaka Samhita says in the 27th chapter, the river having water polluted with soil and feces, insects, snakes and rats and carrying rainwater will aggravate all doshas. Slimy having insects, impure, full of leaves, moss and mud, having abnormal color and taste, viscous and foul smelling water is not wholesome. So, you know, this is, you know, Charaka Samhita is very ancient, about 4th century BC is what it is uh, said to be, uh, to, said to have been written in, but it might be much older. And already they are talking about how rivers can get polluted with all these uh, animals and how you should not be consuming this water, right? Now, the much reviled Manusmriti, you only hear negative things about it, but look at what it says about hygiene. Uh, I am not reading the Sanskrit part. Let him not throw urine or feces into the water, nor saliva, nor clothes defiled by impure substances, nor any other impurity, nor blood, nor poisonous things. There is one more. It says, far from his dwelling, let him remove urine and ordure. Ordure means excreta. Far let him remove the water used for washing his feet and far the remnants of food and the water from his bath. See, so all this goes to say that we had a total understanding of what constitutes impurities and what should not be a part of our food or water, right? And I will tell you why we need to know all this, right? So, we knew, the Manusmriti talks about what are the impure substances. This is one of the most ancient texts which is laying out what are the impure substances that if you touch them, you need to wash your hands, you need to clean yourself. Semen, blood, urine, feces, nasal mucus, ear wax, phlegm, tears, sweat. So, just imagine they knew that all these substances, you can't just touch them and then go and have your food. You can't touch them and you know rub them over your, your body. And you will be surprised to know that this was not known to other parts of the world.
outside the uh, outside greater india it looks like this is so obvious right in 21st century we all know that these things when we touch any of these things we need to wash but it was not known in other parts of the world okay so so what does it tell you about our civilization right now why did the vedic people are often uh, you know we this open defecation problem is goes back to that time and it has a lot of negative uh, publicity open defecation so why did the vedic people go and do uh, do their job outside right what were, were they foolish were they stupid well they were not the thing is they knew that if they uh, do their job closer to where they are living then it's going to cause you know flies coming in and you know the pathogens can get into their food so that's the reason they went very far and in those days there were plenty of isolated places right population was not like what it is today so when people went to the fields beyond the fields they would always find a place where there was nobody where there were no other houses and that's where they um, uh, they defecated and they made sure they didn't go near the rivers because they knew that water would be taken from rivers or wells so they would go to a far off place and after defecation and they would not just do it anywhere they would make a little a bit of a, a pit and do it there then they would cover it with sand right so that they knew that flies should not be sitting on it they used to cover it up not just leave it like that and uh, the left hand would be used for anal washing they would carry a small a little bit of water with them for anal washing and after that that left hand would be washed with uh, natural soaps right and that hand would not be used for eating as a precaution even though they washed it with soap they made sure that they wouldn't use that hand for eating and that is something which is made fun of i've heard this from many people but and uh, today of course we still have that habit many of us have still the same habit which has come from ancient times uh as the population started increasing there came a time when there was no far away right you could go far but then you would be close to another habitation right so that is the time when open defecation should have stopped we should have if we had uh, enlightened leadership so actually right until the 20th century it was not so bad people could still find a far off place and uh, it was safe but then it when uh, it became unsustainable when the population increased the density increased and especially near the cities that was the time we should have transitioned into eco san toilets that is ecologically uh, ecological sanitation uh, toilets with decentralized sanitation which used to be practiced in the sindhu saraswati civilization once upon a time that is what we should have transitioned into but that didn't happen now what i told you now was about the rural uh, sanitation systems but the cities they had a different system uh, so they had latrines and sewerage which as you have seen in harappa they had uh, open sewers i mean they were closed also they were closed sewers which carried away the the waste uh, waste water but remember in those days it was not a huge amount of waste water only a small amount of water would be used for washing and then that would flow okay and the in the sindhu saraswati people were the earliest to use latrines soak pits cesspools pipes and channels for waste water disposal so some toilets were just holes in the ground and some others had seats right uh, and then the effluents were collected in pits which were lined with clay, uh, clay bricks and in those which had centralized system uh, so the it would be allowed to settle and then the top level of the of the settled waste water would flow to a bigger drain and then uh, the solids would be recovered and then they would be used for uh, agriculture this is a picture of the main drain at lothal so terracotta pipes preclined soak pits have been found not just in the uh, sindhu saraswati sites but also in takshashila delhi ujjain and arikameru typically we think it's only in the harappan sites that we have found these 
So further excavations might reveal more ancient towns with well-developed wastewater management systems. So that is something that has to be looked into. And then there is Arikamedu, which is special. It is in the uh, southern part of India and it is it was a center for textile production and it there there they found industrial wastewater treatment uh, systems as well. So that was something different because they used to do business with uh, Rome. A lot of textile uh, export was done to Rome and they had industrial wastewater systems as well. Now there is a lot of reporting on open defecation which projects that Hindu texts are responsible for the open defecation problem. So, if this uh, article appeared in New York Times and it said that uh, open defecation has been uh, a long been an issue in India, some ancient Hindu texts advise people to relieve themselves far from home, a practice that Gandhi sought to curb. So, you can see the negative spin given here. There is no indication that open defecation was actually a healthy practice once upon a time and then the and it, the Vedic uh, books which asked you to do them, they had a reason for that. That has not been discussed at all and it makes it seem like here are a bunch of duffers who go and uh, do open defecation which is written in their text and that is they are polluting their own waters. That is the kind of uh, narrative which has been built up and even we Indians themselves have swallowed it. This movie called Toilet Ek Prem Katha also showed a lot of negative things about, uh, you know, I, I remember scenes where there is a Brahmin they made it seem like you know Brahmins and Hindus don't want toilets. They don't want toilets. They want to go and pollute the countryside, the fields. That's what they want to do, and you have to fight against them and then get toilets built, which is totally wrong. It was in fact the the Hindus themselves who had laid out why you have to go so far and uh, defecate so that you don't want to pollute your uh, living places and your water. So that doesn't come out at all. And then they are shown Hindus are shown as very backward people who don't know what cleanliness is, don't know what hygiene is, and they don't want toilets in their houses. So, they should have set right the narrative, but that is also not happening. Now, let me tell you something interesting about Europe. We talk a lot about India, but we don't know much about how the Europeans lived, what kind of sanitation they had, right? Uh, so, the miasma theory of disease prevailed for a long time until the germ theory of disease came. Uh, that, was, that was in the 1800s, late 1800s. So, the miasma theory believes that you get sick because of bad smells, okay? So, if you are living in a place which has a bad smell, that's what causes you to get cholera, typhoid disease, any kind of disease, right? So, noxious form of bad air. So, in those days when the water uh, closet, water cl closet meaning the flush toilet, it was called water closet because in those days the toilet used to be in a closet. So, people would go, it was like a cupboard, go inside, do your job and it was like a cupboard in the house. So, they were, uh, when it was first introduced in London, people were so happy because they said now is a way we can get rid of the foul smell which comes after defecation and that smell will be taken away from our houses and that's going to improve our health. They didn't know the connection between uh, where it goes and what kind of uh, disease, uh, you know, the pollution it might cause. They didn't know that and this was in the 18th century. So, excreta was disliked only for its smell, not for its potential to cause disease. So, they thought the more it was dumped in the, uh, in the Thames, the better it was. It was safer for the residents. The connection between polluted water and disease was uh, not made by Europeans until the 1880s. Can you believe that? So, if we, we are talking about ancient texts of 4th century BCE making that connection, but you do not see it even in the 19th century. So, London sewer commis uh, commissioners proudly noted the huge volume of human waste that uh, the city's toilets were depositing into the river and they gave the numbers 29,000 cubic yards in the spring of 1848 and 80,000 cubic yards by the winter of 18, 1849 
has been deposited in the Thames River. That was an achievement. <coughs> so, the Times reported in 1858 that death rates had declined because the Thames had, uh, uh, had grown fouler. There was total ignorance about the fact that when the tide in the North Sea rises, that the filth will go all into the drinking water inlet and that is going to cause problems. They did not think about it. Many cholera epidemics took place and many people died. It was very late by the time they made the connection. And this is a, from a book written by Sonia Shah, uh, where she says, Nevertheless, under the powerful influence of miasmatism, when cholera struck, London, Londoners believed it was not because too many flush toilets dumped human waste into the river, but because too few did. Flush toilet sales in the years uh, after 1832 epidemic enjoyed rapid and remarkable growth. So, more people installed flush toilets uh, when the cholera epi epidemic broke because they said that, oh, it's because we don't have a toilet yet. That's why this happened. And so, flush toilet uh, sales enjoyed another spike after the 1848 outbreak of cholera. So many Londoners installed flush toilets over the 1850s that the city's water use doubled between 1850 and 1856. Now, I will tell you about the European caste system. We all talk a lot about Indian caste system. Let us learn about the European caste system. What you see in the picture are those people who used to go in the dead of the night. They would go into the rich neighborhoods. They would go into the toilets and then empty the cesspit and take out all the feces, put it in that drum and carry it with them. And later on, of course, they had motorized uh, versions also. And uh, then they would take it to the limits of the city and uh, put it there. Either they would throw it in the river or do something with it. But the point is that these people who did this job were not allowed to live in the city. They were had to uh, live outside the city and only in the night when everybody was sleeping, they were allowed to come in and they were supposed to make some noise and then come in. And they were that's why the, they were called nightmen and they were called gong fermos in French. There are many names for them. So, so this is your European caste system. Those people were not allowed to mix with the other people. So, the point is that until uh, the technology, you know, the technology interventions were made and all this could be done automatically, not by people, that is when their caste system was, was eliminated. Until then, when they had to do it uh, manually, it was considered a very bad profession and those people were kept away from the other people. Just to give you some perspective. Now, the question comes, what if Indians had stayed connected with ancient knowledge? So, have, here is a bit of a guesswork and hypothesis that we can make that they might have naturally gravitated towards eco sand or composting toilets because they already knew that they should not put their waste into water. Uh, so, they would probably have developed uh, toilets which are self composting, you know, which can be converted to fertilizer, or maybe they would have talked about producing, uh, producing energy from the waste, right? I am quite sure that they would not have developed a system which sends wastewater from toilet to rivers as sacred as Saraswati or Ganga. It is just not possible. We could not have done developed this kind of a system. So, I would say that uh, if the engineers had devised a set of best practices from the Vedic strictures of not mixing human waste with clean water, not sending uh, waste to wastewater to freshwater bodies and ensuring that nutrients are properly recycled then we would have had a cleaner, healthier and livable world today. The Vedic best practices, that is what we missed. So, today it is not that uh, people do not know about eco sand toilets in, uh, in many uh, villages, in many small towns, they are, they are building eco sand toilets which do not use water, uh, too much of water. They produce uh, fertilizer right there 
it is kept for a period of time until it decomposes and then the waste is taken and put in the fields. So, it is there and there are champions of eco-sand toilets who are becoming who are quite famous. So, there is a talk about sanitation being turning uh, being turned into a virtuous sustainability business. So, you can make money out of feces that kind of concept is very much there, but that is actually coming from the west. It is not so much from here. Now, in 2011, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they announced the re uh, reinvent the toilet challenge. So, that was quite revolutionary because then uh, Bill Gates, like what he had done with computers, right? To how computers were available in every house uh, from in once upon a time, nobody thought that everybody would have a computer. So, he said, I want to do something like that with toilets, right? And so, he, he asked designers to come up with a toilet which is cheap, you know, which is less than one, cost less than one dollar a day. So, that it's affordable and also it can produce uh, fertilizers and it can also, it won't pollute the, uh, the environment. So, he, this challenge was the, started by Gates and in fact, he made a big statement last year in the uh, reinvented toilet summit in Beijing. He took a jar of feces with him to the stage and he caused quite a commotion. But he wanted to make a statement that, you know, this is a problem. We have a sanitation problem. And we can solve it by generating something out of this uh, of the feces. You can generate uh, fertilizers, and you can uh, you can make it a, a virtuous business. So that's the statement he wanted to make. So the Gates Foundation, over seven years, they poured a lot of money, millions of dollars. They got innovators together. They got all kinds engineers, technicians. So and then they, uh, they, they developed the Omni processor. So he announced it in that summit last year, uh, and he said this pro processor takes in human waste kills dangerous pathogens and converts the materials into clean water, electricity and fertilizer. So, uh, and he says that we can have toilets fitted with this, retrofitted. It's a question of scaling it up. So, it's the concept is there. It just took him seven years with the help of engineers, scientists, companies and universities. And if you look at it, it's actually an Indic concept that he has used. Something should, that should have, if we were aware, if we were connected with our, our past and knew what our ancients were doing, we should have come up with this. But now, this has been brought up by uh, the Gates Foundation. So, uh, I will uh, give you some concluding thoughts. So, we have moved very far from the wisdom of the Rishis. We have not used it. But, and the, and what, what has happened today is that the world is divided between people who have sewerage and uh, conventional toilets and people who do not have anything, no sanitation at all, right. So, but there is, uh, we cannot do much about those cities which already have a sewerage system and you know the conventional toilets. It's difficult to uproot them and get the sustainable systems. So, they are going to do what they are doing. But in the other places where there are, there are no toilets, where there is no sanitation, there is a window of opportunity and we can actually build toilets which are sustainable. We can connect to our past, our Indic knowledge and build healthy, uh, healthy and uh, eco-friendly toilets. So, my message to all of you is that we need to reconnect with Indic knowledge to know the wisdom of our seers and see how that can be applied today to solve today's problems. So, with this I come to an end. Thank you everybody.